Welcome to the Creative Endeavor Podcast. This is the podcast bringing you inspiring stories from creative professionals from around the world. It's real conversations with real artists. And I'm Andrew Tischler, and how awesome it is to have your company here once again. Thank you so much for joining me. In this episode, I'm talking to Stephanie Page Thompson. And this episode is going to run on the longer side of the podcast that I've brought you so far. But man, we covered a lot of ground. We got into her creative beginnings, her inspiration. We even got into a little bit of shop talk as well. Because when you have the opportunity like I had to talk to an artist like Stephanie Page Thompson, you just got to ask her how she does it. She's an amazing painter. So go ahead and put the coffee pot on clean the brushes, get everything ready to go in the studio. You're in for a nice solid block of creative time. And I know this conversation is going to inspire you like it inspired me. So I'll give you a minute to get ready and we'll come right back with this episode. Stephanie Page Thompson comes from Boston in the United States. It was really interesting to hear about her upbringing and how she grew up. She seemed to have that right mix of circumstances and her parents placed a high priority on her creative development. I wanted to ask her all about that and how she went from those experiences to be the painter that she is today. At only 24 years old, she's producing some incredible artwork And I'm telling you right now, I hope she doesn't mind me saying this, but when I look at her work, it really reminds me of Soroya and Sargent. It's that good, as far as I'm concerned. Anyway, there's a freshness in the brush strokes. There's a beautiful, understated quality to the way she paints things. Yet, when you look at these works, they just seem so beautifully resolved. I enjoy this idea that the artist can take something that most people wouldn't pay attention to and they give it a new life. They give it a feeling of importance so that we can turn and look at these things that we might pass by in our everyday walk and stop for a moment and look at these things and go, wow, that's amazing. I never looked at it like that before. I think this is a role of the artist in some circumstances, and Stephanie Page Thompson certainly takes this to a whole nother level. She paints some incredible subjects, but she does so with heart and feeling. So in addition to asking her about her creative journey, her upbringing, how she started, I also wanted to ask her about the craft of painting. So there's a nice section in here where we just talk shop. I appreciate doing that with other artists and especially when you get an artist as open as Stephanie is, it's really nice to hear how they go about producing their amazing artwork. Now I know you're going to be super inspired by this conversation just as much as I was. 
Before we get into it though, let me ask you a huge favor. If you don't mind, please leave me a rating or a review on whatever audio platform you're listening on. You might not think that does much, but it actually makes a huge difference to this show and getting it up there in the ranks. And I really appreciate you doing so. And if you get something out of the creative endeavor, if you find this inspiring while you're producing artwork in the studio, or maybe you're, oh, goodness, stuck in traffic listening to this, wishing that you were painting, then uh, please, if you don't mind, just share this with a friend so that they may be inspired also. Man, I really appreciate that extra little bit of effort. I couldn't do it without you, so thank you so much. Oh, goodness, I can't believe I nearly forgot to tell you this. But right now you're listening to the audio version of the podcast, and there is a video version And I'm going to tell you right now, that's not something you're going to want to miss. While we're talking about Stephanie's artwork, I'm going to be cutting into the video version, some of the images that we're talking about, as well as images from some of the people that she's really inspired by and some of the people that took her under their wing when she was up and coming. So you're not going to want to miss that. The only place to find the video version of the podcast is on my Patreon page. Just search my name on Patreon, Andrew Tischler Artist, or find the link that is alongside this podcast on whatever audio platform you're listening on. It's only five bucks a month for some amazing, exclusive content that you're not going to find anywhere else. So go ahead right now. Join me over on Patreon. I'll see you there. Now, without further ado, let's get into this podcast. Here's Stephanie Page Thompson and the Creative Endeavor. Stephanie Page Thompson, welcome to the Creative Endeavor podcast. What a pleasure to have you here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Awesome. Lots of things I want to talk to you about. So many directions that we can go in this conversation. Um, Let's kick things off. I I, I guess I've been following you for... Oh gosh, how long you've been on Instagram for? It must've been uh, a few years now, but I think I must've been following you now for two, two and a half years on Instagram. I'm blown away by your work. Your painting style is incredible. I hope you don't mind me saying this, but when I look at your paintings, I, I, my first thing is just like, how? They've just got this gorgeous painterly quality to them that is so reminiscent of my hero artist. And I desperately want to paint like that. I really want to paint like that. (laughs) They've got this Soroy uh, Sargent vibe. And I'm looking at this going, this is the work of somebody who has been painting for decades. And then I look at you and you you can't even be 30 yet. How old are you? Do you mind me asking? I'm 24. Oh, come on. It's not fair. Okay, kick, <laughs> let's let's kick things off here. Tell me, tell me how this journey started for you yesterday. You get started for me yesterday. That's so <laughs> funny because I feel when I turned twenty, I had like a little bit of a meltdown because I thought that I was um, past my prime. So it's it's funny because that was actually a real issue for me. But um, I started painting 
when I was 14 using oils and painted a, a bunch of master studies. And I didn't know that's what they were, but I tried to paint my own things from real life and they made me so upset and I couldn't do it. I had no idea what value was. I had no idea what color temperature was. I had no idea about anything. So I just had these posters that my, my dad had given me um, of Monet and Van Gogh paintings. And so I just copied those because I could do a really good copy, um, I thought. And so anyway, so that started the whole process. I took a class that was sort of a, here's how to oil paint. Um, and it was very intense for a 14 year old. Um, I was homeschooled also as a side note. So that was part of um, the ability to take this class. It was in the winter time and it was specifically taught by an artist whose name is Barry Stebbing. Um, and he traveled around the country, he and his wife, teaching art classes um, called How Great Thou Art, based on the beauty of creation, um, to homeschooled kids. And so I took a class by him. Uh, and like I said, it was for 14 year olds. It was very intense. He had us doing homework. We were there painting for, I think it was like eight hours, five for five straight days. And I still have the paintings I did. I don't have them here. I'm pretty sure they're at my mom's house. But um, anyway, so that started my process of oil painting. And then I just sort of played around with it throughout high school, painted a lot of paintings in 2011 um, of Van Gogh's, Monet's, um, mostly just those two because I had posters of them and I could copy them. Um, so if you go to any of my family members' houses or a couple of really good close family friends, you'll see a bunch of paintings by me, <laughs> all from 2011, <laughs> um, that are all master studies. So anyway, so when I graduated high school, I was 17, and um, I always thought that I would not go into art. Um, I had done that class. I painted a little bit. I drew frequently. Um, but I don't know why I had this thought, but I, I would see people struggle in the world. And I just thought, well, why didn't you just go to college for a better job? Then you wouldn't be struggling. And so I just thought, well, I won't do art because I just, I don't really want to have a hard life. <laughs> I think that's literally what I thought to myself at one point when um, contemplating what I do after high school, which was just a very odd thing to think about. But when I graduated high school, I realized that I was actually interested in, in seeing if I could become good at art because I, I was always the art kid. Um, and I've actually heard a couple other artists say this. I was the art kid. And that's what I was. In my family, I was the best artist. In my extended family, I was the best artist. Um, in all of my friend groups, I was the best artist, probably because I was the only one that was really drawing I'm not totally sure so I had this ego that I was like an artist you know but I also had this sort of imposter syndrome that I was viewed as an artist and I had this identity as being an artist my sister could sing so she was the singer and I was the artist um, but I knew that I actually couldn't draw very well and I knew I couldn't make people look like themselves because I couldn't I was drawing all the time but I was never getting like a likeness because I wasn't trying because I was afraid so um, 
when I graduated high school, I reached out to Barry Stebbing, who I mentioned just before, who had taught me my first art class and said, okay, I think I would like to go to art school. I think I would like to paint. What would you recommend? And he said, don't go to a traditional art school because of a lot of different reasons. Um, he said, you will have to take all these other classes They'll teach you things about the world and the Bible and God that are not true. Um, and you don't need to be exposed to that. And if you want to paint, you need to learn how to paint. You don't need to have a degree unless you want to do art therapy or you want to be um, teaching maybe in like a public school system. If you want to be a school teacher for art, then maybe you'll need a degree. But if you are going to be a gallery artist, painter, they do not care if you have a degree and what you need is to learn to paint. So he gave me the name of um, an artist named C.W. Mundy, who I'm certain you know. And he lives actually in my same town where I grew up. I grew up right outside of Indianapolis. Um, Indiana. So he has lived in Indianapolis for a long time. So that was extremely good advice. I can't, I've thought back on it many times and just thought, wow, what a blessing that I called him. Um, my mom told me, reach out to Barry because he'll have good advice for you. And I hadn't talked to him for a long time. So anyway, so I took his advice and I looked to see where I could study with CW. So this was when I was 17. So I'm not really certain what year this had to be. Um, my mental math is not good. So I'm not even gonna try to do that on the fly, but um, it's like six or seven years ago. So I looked for where I could find CW Monday teaching and he was teaching in Southern Indiana in the fall. And I called to get into the workshop and they called me back and said, honey, I'm really sorry, but you're the 14th person on the wait list and there's 14 students in the class. The chance of you getting in is basically zero. So please find another workshop. We'd still love to have you. So the way the nature of this workshop um, weekend was there in Southern Indiana. I don't know if it's still happening, but on a different level, a big name artists would all come to this town in Southern Indiana and teach and it is um a very small town and they would they would take down not take down but take over all these different buildings in the town for a week and so there'd be like five workshops happening so it was like sue lyon is teaching at the library and scott burdick is teaching at the um high school and at the catholic church gymnasium cw is teaching and kwang ho is in the lutheran church gymnasium and there's only two restaurants in this whole town. And so you each workshop had like a staggered lunchtime or else it would just decimate the town. So you had a half hour to go to a different lunch. And like I said, it's different now. Um, I don't think that there's the same teachers going and it's the workshops are still happening, but it's it's different. It was looking back, it feels like it was just like the I don't know golden age of when to be able to go to a workshop like this go to your first workshop so my mom and i went it, it is it's just so awesome um my mom and i went i was 17 so she wasn't really all that keen on sending me to a town three hours south of where we lived and just sending me into this unknown um and uh i'd had a discussion with my parents and they said 
they didn't say as much as they told me later is what they were thinking about. So I'll share the, the thing they said and then what they had said to each other that influenced how they handled this. Um, they said to me, you're young to graduate high school. You could study art for a year and decide that it's not for you and then go to college or do what arises that makes sense for you to do. Um, but you can take, you should take this year and you should take as many workshops as you can. And we're going to treat this like your first year of college. Um, so you have in college, you wouldn't be having a job because you'd be studying. So we don't expect you to sell any paintings. We don't expect you to um, make a business out of this and make go, um, you know, make a profit because that's not what we would expect of you if you were a nurse. You wouldn't be nursing on the side and then <laughs> paying for school. So um, your original question being, how did I start this a year? You know, just so recently, um, a lot of all of my things has to go to God, but then. Um, also to my parents, because they've been so supportive right from the very start. Um, extremely supportive. So anyway, so she went with me to this workshop and I go into the workshop the first day and all of the artists in there are working artists. They're all 20 years older than I am, which has never been really something that throws me off just with a couple of different things in my life. I've always been interacting with people in different age group. Um, so that wasn't really weird, but it was just indicative of what, what would happen later. Um, I was always the youngest one in all these workshops. Um, and the first day I took a workshop with Ken Backus. So because I couldn't get with CW, I went to someone else that was teaching that same week and thought, well, if I can just get there, I can meet CW. So and I'm sure all the other teachers will be good, which again, I just look back and see the Lord's providence to me and, and goodness, because I could have just said, okay, well, I'll just wait until he teaches again. And I think that the reasons I didn't do that was because the other places he was teaching was California and um, like Mexico city or something. And there was zero chance that I was going to get to those places. So I go into the workshop that first day and he starts talking about composition um, like the rule of thirds and all these things. No idea what that was. He talks about value. No idea what that is. Color temperature. Absolutely no idea where to start even understanding that. And I was just overwhelmed all day long. And my tools weren't correct. I had the wrong type of canvas. Everyone had panels. I had stretched canvases from Michael's. I couldn't wipe away. You know, people were toning and wiping away off of their linen panels. I couldn't do that. They knew what they were doing and I didn't. So anyway, at the end of this day, I come out of the library because it was being hosted in the library of this town and my mom was in the car and I got in the car and said, okay, we need to drive away because I'm gonna start to cry. And she looked at me and was like, what happened in there? <laughs> I dropped you off all day with people I don't know, you know, like, is everything all right? And I was just like, everything is totally fine. I just have no idea what they're talking about. I do not understand, but I want to understand it so badly. And he's telling me how to understand it, but I just, I do not know. And I thought I was going to go in there and be awesome. So it was just a really um, interesting place. I share all of this in depth because where I started, um, I think it, it really matters to know that I had a huge, huge ego, which I didn't know I had um, going into my first workshop. And then I was destroyed by it, by seeing how much I didn't know. 
but then also inspired because I could see the beautiful work that Ken was creating and he was telling me the tools and the techniques to get there. Um, and I was super motivated to, to understand. And what was interesting was I had paid for the whole workshop with selling art. And I was super concerned that I would pay for the whole thing. Even though my parents had said all this, I was like, well, no, but I, I, I want to pay for the whole thing. So I paid for this whole workshop and I got in the car also and said, well, I'm just going to return all of the money. I was a little, you know, I was just upset. And I was like, I'm returning all of the money for all of these paintings that I did to all these people. Cause they were terrible. And my mom was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> You're just going to start from here and go upward. So anyway, so that was, that was where I started. I did end up getting to meet CW Mundy and, um, was just be able to connect right away to this community of painters who were representational, realist, impressionist, um, big people like Kwang Ho, um, Dan Gerhards I got to meet, um, Laura Robb. And I just am so thankful because um, that was the kind of art that I am most drawn to. And I was put in a place without me really even knowing where I would be able to meet of all these people. And um, so I went to that same workshop year after year, I think four years in a row and studied with a good number of people. And what was so interesting, Andrew, was because the town was so small, I could, I could um, know when the other workshops were getting out. So I would look at the list on the different days and see that Kwang Ho's workshop got out and it overlapped for the same half hour. And I went to the restaurants <laughs> looking for Kwang Ho. And then I would buy lunch and happen to stumble upon where he was sitting with the, whatever people he was talking to. And I mean, I did this with Sulayan. I did this with all the other people who I wanted to talk to. And was like, oh, wow, I wanted to be in your workshop, but I couldn't because it was full. Can I talk to you over lunch? And then I would happen to have my portfolio or something, you know, and so funny. Um, so anyway, so through a great advice from um, some artists who I really respect, CW being one of them, um, I kept going on that workshop journey for that first year. And I think I took four that year, which is a lot. Um, but there were a couple of things that happened that were just um, really special. Uh, I've heard about the Portrait Society at a workshop I took. So I took that one in the April and then I, I found an art teacher um, that week locally who could help me get a likeness and teach me about value and teach me about color temperature because I knew that that week was not enough. I, I was introduced to the topics, but I didn't know them enough um, to go out and do them. I needed a teacher to keep re reinforcing me and actually teach them to me. So her name is Charlene Brown. Um, and she, I studied with her for, I think a year. And I was in her drawing class and her painting class. So I was at her house two nights a week for basically a year and usually three times because we became very good friends and I would just go over to our house so we could paint together. Um, and what was interesting was her painting class at the time, she had it offered um, and there just shouldn't have any students in the painting class for various reasons. And so I was the only student in her painting class. So I was basically getting private lessons, but she didn't charge me for private lessons because she already had the painting class like set aside. So anyway, it's just all these crazy things that happened that made it possible for me to have a lot of education that first year. Um, and, uh, 
so I took another workshop in the fall with Don Whitelaw and I found out about Portrait Society and was able to meet a lot of um, artists who had been studied with. So um, that I kept that up for about four years and just had this vision of, or just this daily habit of um, painting. And that first starting point of having my ego destroyed, but knowing that the the only thing separating me and those people that were teaching workshops was hard work um, and time. And people always say like mileage, canvas mileage um, was what I would think about every single day. And I would get up and I would paint and I would think, okay, this one doesn't have to work out. This one probably is going to be bad, but I'm going to figure out what's wrong with it so I can make the next one better. And I will eventually make a great painting. And through that process, um, painted a ton of stinkers and occasionally painted a good one. So on Thursdays, I would go to drawing class at Charlene's house and then I would go to life drawing. Um, so drawing class was an hour and a half and then life drawing was three hours in the evening and she would drive me there. And then I can't remember how I got home, but that doesn't matter. Um, so I would go to this three hour life drawing class and I, she was bringing me through this method of how to get a likeness, you know, with a lot of measuring until eventually you could train your eye. And I had done a bunch of master copies um, of portrait paintings. So um, to get a feel for just how to use paint to make a face. And then she gave me photos of people to paint so I could start translating reality into paint instead of paint to paint, you know, paint to paint with the master copies, reality to paint, but 2D. And then um, she said, okay, now you should start coming to life drawing. And so you can, have all of the elements of working from life while well, now you have some foundation of understanding just how to make a face on a canvas. So I was doing that. Um, and the people there were so, so nice. And, you know, everyone was like adopted me as their own because I was so young and, um, that happened in all of the workshops. And so I did a painting of a woman named Kathy and I thought it was decent and it was decent. It was fine. I took it, I had it um, in a show. It was the first show I ever got into. It was a show here called the Hooter Salon in Indiana. And I had done this little wheelbarrow painting, plein air, in my backyard that I took to show some artists. And they said, this is, this is a nice painting. And so I thought, okay, well, this is, this is a painting I could put into a show because I wanted to enter shows. And I had this portrait of Kathy and I put them into this, this show called the Hooter Salon. And when I entered, you know, you put your prices and everything and I priced them $150 and $250 and they were six by eight and 12 by 16. And I, cause I was, I literally was doing this in my basement and I was like, I don't know. I mean, I, th this is what I would, this is more than I would pay for them, but you know, I was 17 years old pricing my own paintings and they both got in and they both sold at the opening night. Awesome. And I was, you know, I was, so blown away and CW Monday is in this show and these artists locally that are amazing painters and I was just like at the opening just feeling like this was the most magical time of my whole life that I was in a show people could see my paintings on the wall and they actually hung my portrait of Kathy behind a sculpture <laughs> on a wall that was facing um in like it was like on a corner wall and this wall was huge and well lit with a bunch of paintings and then this wall was 
the, the corner side um, was really dark and a sculpture was right in front of it and they put my painting there, but a, a sweet woman bought it that opening night. And I thought before, was that woman an angel? Because they told me that it sold the people with the clipboards, you know, and my mom was there and she was like, oh my gosh, Stephanie, that's so amazing. And I said, well, is the woman here? I'd love to meet her and say thank you. And it's probably mercy she left because I would have just like gushed all over her. But they said, oh no, she came and she bought it and she left right away. So I've never gotten to meet her. Um, but it was just that, that night, I just thought, wow, this is so special. And I later, like I told you, cornered Kwong Ho and showed him my paintings that I thought were the best from the last year. And this was like the next spring after the show happened. And he saw my painting of Kathy and was like, yeah, I mean, this is not successful all of your shapes are broken and you don't have any clear light and shadow patterns, which is all true. And I was just sitting there and I was like, oh, shot through the heart. I was like, no, this is my best painting. It got into a show. <laughs> so anyway, it was just the classic um, wow. thinking Thanks. that you've arrived and, <laughs> and then just getting constantly realizing there's more and more you can always learn. Yeah. So that was so funny. Um, and I, it was all very good advice and true. And I, I learned from it, but, um, so zoom out a little bit and going more big picture. Um, I was able to take a lot of workshops over about a four year period, mimicking roughly what a college experience length would be and, um, traveled to Arizona and, um, Vermont to different hubs of where workshops were being taught and was able to study with some really um, top-notch people and meet some artists who I thought were just, um, you know, kind of like they were my heroes so much that they probably just didn't exist in everyday life to be met, but um, was really thankful to be able to, to study with great people. So um, that's, that's how I started painting. <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> wow I, wow okay i'm just trying to work out now what which thread do i want to pick up and ask you more about it's, it's just extraordinary i tell you the thing that that strikes me as i hear that is uh, and I, i'm just going to be completely honest with you uh, a little bit uh, a little bit of jealousy a little bit of jealousy because I, i'm one of those poor sods that did the that um, art school path. And I, you know, went to a tertiary institution and uh, it was very modern. It was very contemporary. The type of painting that I wanted to do was really frowned upon. And I didn't even get into it again until at least a couple of years, might've been two or three years after I graduated that I started, you know, recovering and starting mm -hmm. to do what I wanted to do. And, you know, that sounds like such an amazing way of, of learning the skills by talking to these people that are just giants, you know, absolute giants. Like Kwang Ho is amazing. He's an amazing painter. Uh, Mundy is an amazing painter. Lion, Scott Burdick, you know, um, you, you mentioned uh, Daniel Gerhardt's as well, right? And, and he's, he's incredible. Like his work is just off the charts. So yeah, it makes sense to go where the the best people working in the industry are. Mm -hmm. But I, it's funny, you know. I 
I, when you say it, it's like, yeah, oh yeah, that makes sense. I've never heard of anybody doing that. Like, yeah, okay, going to take the art workshop. Oh, this artist is cool. I'll go and study this, but going, no, no, no. I'm just going to start drilling this again and again and again. So how, how quickly would you have said then, what was that learning curve? Because again, I, I can also relate, you know, with, with, you know, looking back at my, my past work, just going, and then you, you have a realization, you meet somebody that's like, oh, this person really knows what they're talking about. And suddenly it causes you, you're, you're like insanely inspired, but then you go back to the easel and you look at it, you're like, oh, start again. <laughs> so <laughs> how, how long did that process take overall before, like to give us an idea of the trajectory from when you first started that, that journey of going to people's workshops before that first, you know, um, town body of workshops that where they all descended on the one town and you first kicked off there to you stepping out as what you would have considered a professional. <laughs> okay. So that's a big question. So it's an interesting definition of what you would define professional as. How do you um, define, how do you define professional? Are you a oh. professional artist now? You definitely are to me. But how do you define professional? I, I would say, yes, I am a professional artist. I paint full time and I'm very thankful to be able to do that. Um, awesome. My definition of a professional artist before, um, when I was in a workshop stage year one or year two, and I was just like very new and I was, you know, every artist that was teaching a workshop was, so amazing you know I just was like wow your life is perfect when you get to the level of teaching workshops and being in shows like Portrait Society and being in magazines like that's when you know you're a professional artist you are so happy creating all the time it has to be easy at that point you know like that that was what professional art was to me like the point where you just are like oh I'm it now and then I'll just paint for the rest of my life having a great time that's what I thought it was. And I've learned that that's not true. <laughs> um, that the more you know, the more you know, you don't know. And so you just keep going on this learning curve of seeking the next level, um, which I'm really thankful because I don't, maybe some people don't have that same um, feeling. I don't know. People talk about plateauing and stuff. Well, gr growth has got to be built into it. Um, but I, and I find that a lot of people when they start out, and this is true for me, I'll speak for myself really, but but when I started out, I, I was obsessed with this idea of, of arriving at a point where it's like I, I could accept myself as being, okay, now I've made it. Now I can paint the type of image that I'm seeing in my head. But the thing yeah. is, by the time you get to that point, there's another rung on the ladder that suddenly appears and it's like, oh, now I need to learn this thing and this thing and this. Right. And then you quickly realize the further down the road you go and the more you push this thing is that there's always more to know. There's no end to it. And look, I mean, okay, we're both, uh, we both have faith and, and we're both Christian here, but really, you know, the way I see this is like, okay, I, I am if I really get too far ahead of myself, I'm really competing, you know, that, that canvas, I'm trying to create something that is representing what the creator has done. 
-hmm. but he's painting with physical material and light and colors and real distance and real depth. And it's like, am I really going to compete with that? <laughs> that's, that's what I'm, what I'm competing with there. And, and, and he's got me whipped every single way. So it's like, <laughs> How, how full of yourself can you get? You know, there's, right. there's so, so much more to understand. And it's, you know, you'll think it's like, oh, I, 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 I can paint a pretty decent sunset. And it's like, oh yeah, what about this sunset? And it's like, right. whoa, you know, you're right. looking at it. It's just mind blowing. Right, right. Yes, it's, it's, I can resonate with every single thing that you just said. Um, and my younger self didn't see that. My younger self thought, Someday I will paint something. This is actually literally exactly it. Are you familiar with Portrait Society or what that organization is? Yeah, yeah, but but please tell us. It is. It's a it's a, a society for painters um, for figurative art, um, and they put on a conference every single year. And I went to that conference the first year. Um, so I think this was had to be 2016. Um, and I went to it with my mom again, I got a scholarship to go. And um, so I was at this conference, I think it was in Atlanta, or I think it was actually in Virginia this year. And I saw all these painters on stage, who I just thought were amazing, who are amazing. I think I was worshiping them a little bit more than I should have at that point, to be honest. But um, and I saw them and I saw their presentations and heard what they were talking about with, it just was incredible, you know, and you get a little bit more of a feel, um, being able to just, it's a little different than a workshop environment because there's different topics, you know, people were sharing about their um, just everyday creative life. And I, at some point was watching, I think it was watching um, James Gurney or something, uh, or maybe it doesn't matter who it was, but they were, presenting on stage and my mom was sitting next to me and she said so what do you think just whispered to me and I looked at her and I said I'm going to be up there I want to be those people I want to do that Wow. and she was like okay all right so this was in that first year of like you don't have to be painter if you hate this we you don't you don't feel like you need to do this but um I forgot to tell you what what they said to each other wow my parents apparently had talked to each other before they had, you know, had a conversation with me where they said, yeah, we're going to totally support you with this. You have a year if you, and you, after the year we'll reevaluate. They said to each other, apparently that they didn't want me to grow up and have regrets of not pursuing something that could have been. And um, I am so thankful for that because all of these years in these workshops and just meeting artists, I've met so many who just say, wow, I, my parents told me I needed to be an engineer or do all these, you know, I went to school for this because they said I needed to do that. And um, while I see that there's great care on both sides and parents want what's best for their children, I am really thankful for what my parents did for me by pursuing that with me because I do think that I would have a lot of regret if I hadn't pursued it and if I had gone to be a dental assistant like I thought I was for a little while <laughs> what a crime that would have been what a shame that would have been wow yeah. thank you um so anyway so the portrait society that was my ultimate goal I saw someone win the Draper grand prize that year actually Michael Klein won it and I have since gotten to know Michael Klein 
Um, Shout and out Michael I, Klein. To, I, Michael, if you're listening, I promise I'm going to use that thing you sent me. I promise. <laughs> I haven't haven't done it yet, but I've got it sitting right. Oh no, it's in the downstairs studio. It's this little uh, Pashad palette. It's cool. Oh, I want one of those super bad. But they're so cool. Awesome. Um, and Michael and Ellie, I just, if you are listening, I really love you guys. So he, I saw him win it and, um, I just thought, wow, that is the ultimate to be in that show. And in 2020, I got into it. So that would have been four years later that I was a finalist in it. Um, I entered it in 2019 with a portrait and it got a certificate of excellence and then I entered the next year and I got in as a finalist. And wow. of course that was the year that it all got canceled. So it never happened. Um, and I realized specifically, like what is a professional painter? I thought it was this moment of glory going up and accepting the Draper Grand Prize and being on stage and being able to make this amazing painting. And now my vision of that is much different because um, all of that didn't happen and I didn't get to enjoy the whole experience of like being a finalist and I realized how much my vision of what it was to be a professional artist was driven again by my ego of like when everyone else tells me that I'm a professional painter is when I am one and um how that's not necessarily true so anyway so in 2016 was the first time that I um started taking workshops and then in 2020, I would say is, um, that's when I got into the finalist and I've been in other shows, but that was the first international show that I entered and was able to place in. That's amazing. That's so amazing. <laughs> isn't it, isn't it interesting? I mean, we, I, I, I find that as well. Like I, I would have thought that, um, particular things or particular milestones, you know, whether I achieved them or not, some I did, some I didn't. Um, but you kind of build up this vision and this image in your mind. If I can only do that, if I can only be that, if I can only get there, then it'll be okay. And, and I, I, the thing that I'll add to that is if I can only tick that box, then I'll be able to accept myself. Cause I, I was trying to do that, you know, just personally, just reflecting on what you're saying here. Um, and then I realized the more that I did that, the more miserable I got. Mm -hmm. And the thing that the last couple of years have given me, despite all the challenges that the world's been going through and people have been facing, um, I don't want to be insensitive to that, but it was, it's really caused me to focus on just showing up daily and just creating and just right. actually just don't worry about an outcome, focus on the process. Right. And just like, I get to paint today. Cool. You know, about right. what you were saying before, you know, about, about being a, a professional artist and having this vision in your mind, it's going to be, oh, it's going to be wonderful. It's great. And then I'll get a jacuzzi big enough that I can sit in there <laughs> with the easel and paint <laughs> while I like, you know, I'm sipping martinis or whatever. It, it ain't, it ain't like that. It ain't like that. You get the chlorine and the martini and then your brushes get soggy. It's terrible. But um, <laughs> sorry, I, I'm a massive dork. Apologies. <laughs> um, no, not at all. But, but no. you, you do, you build up this vision 
of, of what you think it's going to be like. And then reality sets in. And then it goes, you have to, at that certain point, you have to reevaluate and go, okay, well, maybe it's not about me, you know, being on the stage. Because right. I, the, the, I've got to say this, I, I'm going to keep coming back to this. The, the, the evidence of your journey is present in your body of work. I'm looking at your Instagram and I encourage everybody uh, to, to go and follow you right now on, on Instagram, you know, everybody listening to this, but the people watching the video version of this um, exclusively on Patreon, uh, they will be able to see the, I'm going to cut in here images of your paintings and some of the artists also that we've been talking about. The evidence of that time and that dedication and that effort is present in the body of work that you, that you have. And that right there is just, I mean, that's amazing. I, I, I know it's different because it's you and you're in it, you know, and it's, but from the outside looking in, it's like, that's, that's where the real, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Payoff is, is, is just in the sheer quality of what you're producing now. It's like that cumulative result of the, of the hard graft. And now you're at this point. I mean, I, 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 I really do want to ask you, so you, you tell me uh, how much you can say, but I do want to ask you just briefly about one portrait. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of portraits I want to ask you about, but there's one portrait that I find just absolutely stunning, and that's main man. Can I, can I ask you about that? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, there's, a, there's a huge story behind main man, um, personally. And then also um, with the fact that, that main man is um, the sitter, the subject is um, Jamie Wyeth, which is um, very special. Uh, just everyone knows who Jamie Wyeth is if you're listening to this podcast. Um, so I'll share how I got to paint Jamie and then I'll share the personal side to it because it also kind of blends into this uh, whole top topic about um, being a painter and um, creating every day and creating um, also for a living. Um, so in 2019, the summer of 2019, I was able to live in Southern Maine for the summer. And um, I had a connection to Maine, which is something we haven't talked about at all, which is falconry. I don't know if you were going to talk about that at any point. I, I'd love to ask it. you about it because it's something that shows up in your in your website and your portfolio. And, and again, it's some images that I've seen on, on your social media. So I'd love to ask you about that, but we'll, we'll come around to that. Yeah. Um, perfect. Perfect. It, that topic can just take over a conversation. So anyway, Excellent. so I had a falconer friend um, who I knew through the sport of falconry, which we'll talk about, um, who lived in Maine, lives in Maine, um, and had the opportunity to go there and live for the summer and work part-time scooping ice cream <laughs> and paint the rest of the time. And um, it was a very magical time. I was able, I worked part-time, so I would scoop ice cream four nights a week from 5 to 11 p.m., and then I would wake up at 4.30 and paint. I would paint the sunrise almost every single day at 4.30 and then all day long and then come home and shower and eat and then um, scoop ice cream. And so I also was just taking advantage the whole time I was there um, of what Maine had to offer. And so 
Um, I went to see a retrospective show of Jamie Wyeth's paintings that was happening at um, the Farnsworth in Rockport, which was about two hours north of where I was living. And um, it was an amazing show. It was paintings of his wife, Phyllis, who had just passed away um, a few months before. And it was paintings and drawings and little gouache studies that he'd done of her throughout their marriage of something like 50 years. And I um, have rarely been so moved by a show of paintings. It was so special. And it's something that I realize I'm drawn to specifically um, by other people's work is when it just feels so personal um, and you, you, you can feel their love for what they're painting through the painting. So um, I could just see throughout all of these, it was like 25 works and you could watch her grow and grow old throughout these works. And I just wow. was so um, struck by them. I mean, I was there for like four hours. I was just staring at these paintings thinking, okay, I have been working so hard just to be able to paint, just to be able to paint a person. And now I see the next level, which is how do I create something that is so moving that it's almost like you don't want to look at it because it feels so personal. I was looking at these paintings. And I just thought, wow, this is like a visual diary. You know, it's a diary without words. It's a diary with colors because it was just so evident um, how much he loved her. And I just was so struck by that. And I just thought, wow, I cannot believe I didn't know you know, I, I just hadn't been touched by paintings like that before. So I just had all these questions in my mind already of just like, what kind of person creates this? Like, I want to, I want to, how, how can you take the technical side and then blend it so seamlessly with your life and be able to create like a visual picture of your life? You know, I was like, that's what I would like to do. I would like to be able to paint so well that I can just share the things and the people I love visually. So anyway, I found out that day that he was going to be doing a talk, a lecture about the, um, the retrospective. And um, I was able to meet him at the end and um, ask him just questions about the paintings and mostly just, wow. um, you know, just say they were really incredible. And I happened to have my sketchbook with me and I wasn't going to do this. I wasn't going to be this person, but I was just like, you know what, actually we're standing right here and could I have your autograph? And so he looked through my sketchbook and he said, well, so you're here for the summer? And I said, yes, I'm here for the summer. I don't, I live in Indiana. And he was like, okay, well, if you're ever on Monhegan Island, you should let me know. <laughs> and I was like, okay. So anyway, long story short, I had a friends on Monhegan Island that I was able to go and stay with before I left um, and let him know that I would be there and I was able to paint paint him there and so that's how I was able to get that um, that painting um, I actually painted that from a photo but um, you can go on my Instagram and see the painting that I portrait I did of him um, and uh, so I I finished main man which i would like to talk about the portrait of main man mm, because mm. it's very interesting how it came to be um but i finished it and 
put it into porch society. Um, and they called me or they sent me an email or something pretty soon to when the judging would be happening. Um, like a couple of weeks after I'd entered it and they said, okay, we just want you to make sure that you know what our rules are because, um, you can't use anyone else's photograph or anyone else's, um, works. Like you have to have all original sources. Is this Wyeth? That's all that they said. And I was like, okay, so I think they think that I, they recognize him, which is great. That's a compliment. I was able to get a likeness. And I think they think that it, um, wasn't, uh, my photo. So I just wrote back. I was like, yes, this is my photo. It is. I have permission to use this, <laughs> which was just a, a funny thing. But, um, I was painting. So I was able to do that that summer. Um, and go to Maine and I came home back to Indianapolis area and was painting and I was painting because I was saying you know I'm a professional artist now um also that summer I had been just so blessed I had painted several large paintings before I left for Maine so that I would be able to be um in shows that would be happening while I was in Maine um so I had gotten all my paintings ready they were all entered they were all boxed to just be delivered to the things if they got in um, and the two main paintings I had done, um, I was just so blown away and blessed. They both received best of show in two shows that summer. Wow. So, awesome. um, which was just a huge blessing. Um, and ironically, it was also like four years after I first got into that first Hoosier Salon show, my painting, um, won best of show in it. And so, I was in Maine and I was just, you know, I was so thankful. Um, and so those sorts of things made me, I came home that, that winter and I had, I had entered those two shows. I had one best of show in them. I had gotten into portrait society as an, uh, excellent, um, exceptional merit or it's the level below finalist. So it wasn't a finalist, but I had gotten in and, and recognized and so my personal bar was, okay, so if I can't top this next year, I'm a failure. Oh. And I, now I'm professional. So I'm, this is what I should do every year, every year. I need to be able to do this. Um, I don't know if you do Enneagrams or if anyone listening does Enneagrams, but I'm an Enneagram type three, and that has been very helpful to understand. <laughs> Do you do it? Do you know what that is? Or I no? do. I, I don't. I don't go there though. But I'll, I can. I can explain later why that is. But the, but that's fine. That's fine. I'm not, I ain't judging. I ain't judging. Um, there's certain things about that that are very applicable to me and okay. help me understand how I yeah. how I work. So anyway, um, very performance driven. So okay. yeah. anyway, so I came home in the fall and I just was like, had this weight, this personal weight of rather than just being like, wow. Thank you, Lord, for all of this blessing that you gave me this year. Um, I am so thankful. I was more just thinking, I just need to be able to do this again next year. I need to keep this up. This is now my, you know, now I'm a professional. Um, I, I can't make any more bad paintings. You know, and I wasn't necessarily thinking that in words um, in my mind, but that's how I was acting. And so I was just painting with the idea of being impressive. And... Um, 
was hating it. And you mentioned this, the more that you seek after that, the more miserable you are. And that's not why I started painting. That's not why I love to create. That's not why I love just to the act of painting. It's not, if that had been my motivation, I would never would have sought to make my life all about painting. And I was reminded of that by several very close people in my life. Um, uh, Michelle Dunaway being one, and also a huge influence who I didn't mention as being one of my workshop um, instructors who I studied with, who is now a really good friend. Um, I'm really thankful for a lot of things that she's done for me. Um, but I was just calling, I called her and I was like, I can't even paint as well as I could a month ago. I can't paint. I'm miserable. And so she just looked, she was on the phone with me and she was like, you don't need to be able to enter all these shows every year. You, that, that's not what's important. Like you don't need to enter them every single year at all. That's not what this is about. And so just let it, let it go basically and shared her own personal journey. And I just realized that's why I'm so stressed out. I'm trying to just get into all these shows so I can prove to myself I'm a professional painter. Yeah. Stupid. So I let it go. And this was like, um, I can't remember what month. I think this was December of 2019. Mm -hmm. And I, had been painting all of these things that I thought would get into shows and not following just something that uh, Sue, Sue Lyon had said to me years before in a workshop, which I still think about all the time. She said to me, follow your goosebumps. And I just thought, well, oh, that's so cute. cute. You know, like that's yeah. so cute at the time. And it came back to me so clearly at this time. And I realized literally, I remember her saying, follow your goosebumps. And I thought I have stopped. I've stopped following the things that make me give me goosebumps because I'm so either just amazed by them or I just can't wait to paint them or because I'm just so intrigued by the visual aspect you know it might not even be the subject matter it might be the color harmony you know I had stopped following my goosebumps and I was following my pride and um so I I let that go I was like I'm not entering these shows I just need to paint I just need to get back to where I was when I started painting of just just painting just to grow and to enjoy the act of painting. And so I started this painting of main man and I worked on it and I started it pretty big. I did all these studies of it and I've, um, I've talked about this, but um, I finished it in like about three weeks. And I, this is the ironic part. The deadline for portrait society was in three and a half weeks. <laughs> and I knew that. But I also was not, I, I said, I'm not entering it. I'm not, I'm just, this is what I'm painting. And I am going to paint this because I want to. And I was, you know, I was genuinely so excited about it. And um, anyway, so I, I did this painting and kind of a record time for me. I'm a pretty slow painter um, at times. And I finished it the day of the entry and entered it. And I literally said to my mother, um, well, if it doesn't get in, I'm repainting the whole face because it's terrible. <laughs> I'm just going to repaint the whole face. I think I was actually in tears that day because I was just like, now I am, it's not as good as it could have been. You know, I was just like, I'm going to enter it because I think it's worth it. So again, this is just this, the ridiculous emotions of um, a creative person sometimes, but 
um, I, 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 I cringe when you say, I'm sorry, but I cringe when you say that. And I, do, I don't mean to gush right now, but I guess I am a little bit. This is a beautiful portrait. And the face is heartbreakingly beautiful. It's so good. It is so good. And I look at that and that that is something that I, I, I okay, I, I, I aspire to make a portrait look like that. That is just stunning. The Thank freshness you. of the brushwork, the presence, it's not overworked. It's not complicated. It's not in terms of like it technically, there's some stuff going on there that, okay, go, all right, we, we need to talk shop because I just want to ask you how your edges are perfect. They're beautiful. Like the way two zones meet and you get this beautiful... Uh, oh, we need to talk shop. I need to, we need to get, geek out about the painting. But I, when you say that, I'm sorry again. I keep cutting you off, but I just look at that and I'm just like, it is a beautiful painting, okay? And again, for the video version of the podcast, people are going to get a treat because they'll they'll be able to see uh, this portrait. Um, wow, I'm glad you didn't go back and rework it. <laughs> I am too. I am too. I'm yes. I am very thankful too. Um, that's that's uh where i was when i finished it and i think that's just something i've also learned about myself when i think that what i'm doing is terrible i need to just step away from it because it's probably right. not as bad as I think it is yeah um but i got a call like a week or two weeks it had to be like probably a month actually after i entered it and it was a finalist and um that was to me what being the pinnacle of a painter was and when it all got canceled and none of it happened I realized that being a painter is about the joy of painting and it's not about the pleasure of being praised for the painting that you've made at least for me and I had misplaced my yeah. worth in a couple of ways by um needed needing a lot of that affirmation um and so um it was kind of a blessing that it all got canceled because I learned that you know that it's not about for me my motivation can't and shouldn't be um impressing other people and being able to have the opportunity to publicly be praised for a painting because that's um first of all the Lord should be you know I'm painting for the Lord in his glory and not my own so uh that was the first area where it was totally off and then also just when I create from a place of um just joy and creating is when I create paintings that then um make people like you who I so respect say such really nice things about them you know they, they I make my best work it's 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 awesome like, it's so awesome. I, I want to ask you about your faith, because I can hear that that's, that's really important to you. I mean, it, it's got to be one of the most important things in, in your life. How do you think that informs your artistic process? I mean, you, you're just saying that, that this is why you're doing it, you know, for the Lord. That's kind of like a primary thing. So where does that kind of enter the thought process when you're painting something like I'll tell you something else that really grabbed my attention was this this uh painting that you announced that you're doing a a print run on and it's the painting of the silo 
And, and again, I, I come back to your quality of edges and form and just this painterly thing. Like I, I see, and I just, just personally here, when I, it doesn't matter what it is that I'm painting, I see something that God is doing. Okay. Uh, like I, I see like light, form, texture, color, and it's everywhere. And it's trying to teach me to understand what it is I'm looking at. And if you just stop for a second, pay attention, you see it. But how do you, how do you find that personally, like in a, in a silo or in a falcon or in somebody's face? Like, where, where is that for you? Or here, like, okay, I, I, I want to throw something else here in the mix, okay? Something else in the mix. I think... You know, for, again, I, I can't separate myself from this, you know, because, you know, when I, when I go for something, it's, it's almost like an easy, it's an easy sell to go, oh, well, this painting is about God and creation. If you're painting this epic mountain and it's got clouds and when it's all happening, then there's water in the foreground oh, and look, it's a waterfall and the birds come through and you look at it and it's kind of like, oh yeah, he's clearly trying to uh, paint like Bierstadt or, or following that, that kind of that vein. But then how do you see that in a moment that's so simple and it's just an interior view of a bed with a pillow that's just catching that light coming in through a window that's just the curtains are just slightly open. You see the lights filtering through and that beautiful soft shadow of the lamp on the wall. How, how do you find that? In, in an interior scene, because I have no doubt that you found it, but how are you thinking about it when you, when you, when you're doing something like that? I don't even know what I'm asking you. That's a, no, I feel like I know what you're asking me. And I also, um, yes, I do know what you're asking, what you're asking. I mean, your first question was that, how does your, my faith inform my painting? Mm -hmm. And then also, I, I understand. I, I don't know if I can say back to you the question that you're asking me, um, but I feel like I understand it. Um, for me, my faith influences my painting in that um, I feel that I'm called to work for the glory of the Lord and not my own glory. And um, it glorifies the Lord to be excellent in whatever field each of us are called to, all of his children. So um, excellent craftsmen are making excellent kitchen cabinets and they're doing that for God's glory because they're making something beautiful and amazing. And they're just kitchen cabinets, but we use kitchen cabinets every single day. And so to make the kitchen cabinets excellent and of good quality, that they can be used every day and last for a really long time is good and honorable work. And that's glorifying to the Lord. So this is also kind of coming from my childhood. My father is extremely capable and um, we, he made a lot of the things that, you know, he built our house somewhat. And, um, you know, I've never seen someone hired to do a task in a house ever because my dad always would do it. And so anyway, so I saw him excellently working and at little tiny things, you know, like fixing our sump pump, you know, that's a huge deal if it's not right, but it's just a very menial task, but he just took so much pride in being able to um, do those things. So anyway, that's an aside. I really love my dad. And um, so being a painter and being excellent at painting is glorifying to the Lord. And I don't need to be painting 
a cross or um, a religious image for me. I do not, um, I'm not going to do that, but I can express that, um, my faith and my appreciation for creation by painting whatever I am painting excellently. And I think it will translate. Um, so it's interesting because you bring up that bed painting. Um, I woke up and I saw this and I just was so enamored by the light and um, this, this beautiful space. And I immediately saw the painting in my head. And over the course of painting it, I just, sometimes I listen to painting, uh, to, we talked about this a little bit, but I, I listen to sermons and I listen to books and sometimes very rarely music. But when I'm studio painting, like on commissions or things, I'm always listening to something. But when I'm plenary painting um, or painting from life, I very rarely am listening to anything. And I should actually write this down for myself because I've not really noticed this before. It would probably help me to be more silent while I'm doing my studio work. Um, because while I was painting that bed painting and while I'm painting things, um, that have so gripped me like this, you know, while I was painting that, I was just thinking about the beauty of the light and just, I was just trying to portray truthfully and excellently this very simple scene. And um, it just felt like the most important thing that I could be doing at that point. You know, it was like, this, this is something that I'm called to do. Um, so how can I answer your question and describe to you what I'm trying to say? I'm not sure if I can, except to say, um, my favorite works and the ones that touch me the most, I, I would like to figure out if I can, I've, I've been trying to figure this out. Um, with the silo, I was painting in this barn, which I can't wait to get back to. There's actually, if you're in the video version, you can see it right here. I don't know how, if you'll crop the view, but this is a painting. Yeah, I'll cut that in. I can, I can see that. So that's kind of an interior view. Um, so winter sun oil panel, 16 by 20. Yep. 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 Brilliant. So Beautiful. I'm, Beautiful. I'm painting these barn interiors, these barns that are falling down and they just feel like it feels so important to me. Like it's what I'm being called to paint and I'm just surrounded by nature and just this feeling of um, the, you know, this beautiful passages of light and this decay, which is just so beautiful. And while I'm painting and there's just, I'm surrounded by those things. I, I just, I feel like I'm surrounded by the glory of the Lord, you know, in just the, it's, it's just, I don't know. I, I, hopefully all the time. I feel like I feel kind of hyperventilating all the time because I see my husband um, literally we were eating lunch yesterday and I was just, I started like having this moment and I was like, oh, I can't paint you right now. Like our, our, we have to be done eating, but the light was falling on his face and I could see, it was just like this beautiful colors happening on his face. And I was just like, oh, I got to paint that. That's so beautiful. You're so beautiful. <laughs> and I was like, I can't paint that. And, you know, I just, anyway, I, I'm, I think I actually am rambling now, except. No, for, no, um, no. That, that is, that is fantastic. You, you're, you're on, you're on. It's like that switch in your brain has just gone click. And, and, and it's, it happens for artists. I mean, as you're saying that, I just find myself nodding and I'm kind of, I, I'm I'm smiling to myself because it's like I have those moments and this what a treat to talk to you because 
as I get more, you know, further down the road of, you know, and, and more involved with online stuff, social media stuff, business stuff, you forget, you forget, you start, you, you become the hooks of the external get embedded in you and pull you away from what you should be focused on. And here you are looking at things. It's just a simple moment. Like I, I think what the artist should be doing is taking those things that most people miss. And this is why I've just, I love Joe Paquette and Joe Paquette's work. I mean, this guy, he's, he's on. So he's, he'll, he'll take a view that people walk by every day, right? It'll be like, stop, look at this. Here's something that you missed. Renato Michilo, right? I, I love that guy. He's an amazing painter. And, and when we had our podcast a, a while ago now, I must talk to him again. He, he was saying this landscape that you're looking at, this grand moment that you, you think you're that's a drainage ditch. Don't forget that. It's a drainage ditch. And, yeah. But it's, it's finding the beauty in something that somebody wouldn't ordinarily see. And it's, it's honest and it's gorgeous. And yeah, you know, I, I, I can relate to that. That sense of anxiety, the flutters, the butterfly, this kind of tension is like, oh, now I want to go paint. Oh, come on. You know, it's like, I got to get that. Michael Klein, I got to get that that uh, Peshad palette out. Just carry it everywhere in my shirt pocket. Just put it right there. <laughs> We're painting now. Hold still. Finish exactly. chewing. Let's go. <laughs> exactly. But, but you said something there before, and I, I, I want to come back to that. And I was thinking, ooh, interesting. I wonder what, what's there. So you said that you wouldn't be painting religious images. So here, here faith is, is important to you. It's an important part of your walk as, as an artist. But um, you, then people from the outside would go, oh, great. So when, when can we look forward to seeing, um, you know, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane painted by Stephanie Page Thompson? Or when are we going to see, you know, uh, a Sermon on the Mount or something like this? Uh, you know, would you ever tackle a biblical subject like that and, and, you know, cause you said, you, you, look, I, I won't do that, but what's there. What, what are your thoughts in relation to that subject matter? Um, that's interesting. Um, for me personally, I don't think I will okay. because I believe what we have in the Bible is how God has revealed himself to us. And when he says, you shall have no graven images, I believe that that also refers to images of him and that um, if he'd wanted us to know what he looked like, we probably would know. So um, what we need to know is about is, is his gospel. His gospel is the most important thing. So um, I won't personally make a painting of what Jesus could look like because I don't think we know. And I don't think that that is um, something that I'm called to do as a painter, but I feel very strong to paint his creation. And um, I don't know about painting. um, I've thought about this because I saw beautiful, what I am interested in, you probably won't ever see a painting of uh, biblical figures by Stephanie Page Thompson. But um, I recently saw a painting that Michael Klein actually did 
um, for uh, Ligonier, which is this beautiful diptych landscape. And weaved throughout it is um, a very biblical theme of, of stones and thorns on one side and then life-giving water on the other. And that is something that I'm, was so stirring to me because I've um, not thought about melding those two things that way. You know, um, I don't, I don't personally want to make an image of Christ per se, but when I saw this um, painting that he did and he was sharing how even the passage of light was very loosely the image of a cross. You wouldn't look at it and be like, wow, there's a cross in the sky. But once he showed that, um, I could see it. And I just was so enamored by that. So that's something that I hope as I mature as a painter, um, I feel like I'm a, I'm a baby painter. My dreams are to be able to paint pieces that are technically beautiful, but then also share um, things that are important to me, you know, which feels a little self-centered except for, um, I don't think it actually is because if I see something that's so beautiful and worth recording and sharing forever, I wanna be able to do it in a really beautiful way. Like the way I saw on Jamie's paintings of his wife, you know, that was so, she was so important to him. I wanna be able to paint um, the things that I love excellently and not be held back by um, the lack of ability um, to, to do that. So that's kind of a long answer to your question. <laughs> it, it, brilliant answer though. No, no, brilliant answer. And and again, every time you, you answer one of my, questions it's it's you bring up so much um this is this is interesting um because you know what, what you're saying there it's like i've often thought about what is the artist's role in in society as a whole or in the world like what it what is the role and then it caused me to think about well what are some of the artists that i really admire from the past that i really resonate with you know, we look like somebody. Uh, look at somebody like uh, like um, an Andrew Wyeth, you know, a, a Jamie Wyeth, uh, you know, even their father, um, you know, who's just a, a giant, um, incredible artist. Um, but you know, and and again, I, as well. I mean, it's got to be said. Everybody resonates with something different. But there are, there are things that I still think are objective not necessarily subjective that, that we can all agree on. Oh, that's beautiful. That's meaningful. That actually touches the soul in a really interesting way. And I think whenever you're doing that authentically as an artist, you inadvertently, you give somebody a moment of pause. So you're providing something for them in that moment. But then if they're an artist and they they themselves are creative, you give them permission to shine. And that, you know, it's like, oh, they're doing it. I, I need to stop going for the grand thing of what I think is going to get me the val validation and start focusing on, again, I, I love what, what Susan Lyons was saying, follow your goosebumps. That's brilliant. Go for that thing because they were given to you. For me, I, I just personally, that's where God enters the, the, the mix for me, artistically speaking is that those bolts of inspiration, I can't take any, in, uh, can't take any ownership of them, but right. it's like, 
no one's asking for this painting. Right. No one knows I'm going to do this painting. And in fact, sometimes I don't even want to turn the camera on because I make films, <laughs> I make videos and stuff about my painting. I don't even want to film this bit. This is mine. This is for me. But I'm like, yep. oh, I'll turn it on, but I'm going to forget about it. You know, <laughs> but, <laughs> you know? but it's, it's, yep. it's interesting. Like, and it's interesting you say that. Yeah, I, I totally dig what you're saying about the, about the religious paintings. I mean, I don't, I don't want to take away from an artist like Jeff Hine, for instance, who's doing these grand biblical scenes, like his triumphal arch, you know, credit where credit's due, like as a painting and technically the guy's amazing. And some of those works are just, they blow my mind. And for somebody who was just solely dedicated to working from life, talk about the craft, you know, and, 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 and just working on it. Um, and it shows in his work, the evidence of that, that hard graft, you know, um, but, but I do totally get where you're coming from. That's kind of like the other side of things. It's like, how do you find God in a moment? And how do you find that in just what you're engaged in, in that moment? It's like, I am going to do this excellently and I'm just going to show up excellently and be all there. I don't, is there anything you can't apply that to? I don't think so. It applies to everything, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. Wow. Which is interesting. Um, it's a very exciting way to live. I think mm. if, if you if you do apply it to everything by, you know, I'm done painting now. I love to cook. And I apply this to cooking a lot. Like sometimes I'll feel stressed of like, oh, every time I'm not doing anything other than painting, I'm I need to just get back to painting, you know, that uh, I think artists have that where they just have like this complex of if I'm not painting, it's not worthwhile. At least I do. But when I'm thinking in the right mindset and thinking about my whole life, as opposed to just my painting life, um, which is a huge part of my life, but not the only thing in my life, um, doing each part excellently and I take great joy and I'm not just thinking about how I need to get back to the easel while I make dinner. I'm so inspired by just the colors and the textures and the dinner. And I literally the other night was just stressed out because I have this big painting I'm trying to finish. Um, and it's being very challenging. And I just thought, you know what? I'm just going to go, I'm going to make dinner and I'm going to make us a delicious dinner. And I literally was making it. And then I was like, I need to do still life some vegetables. I was like, they're so inspiring. <laughs> I literally was like, I should set it up and like I'll set up and I'll paint just after I'm done making dinner. It's so inspiring. And it was just like the craziest thing. I realized I was like, wow, look at that. Like when I just let go again of my ego and just painting for all these other reasons, aside from just a very which is real when you're a painter and it is your job, you have to turn the camera on. You have to be balancing. So I'm trying and I'm hoping someday an older artist older than me will teach me the perfect balance. I don't think it's out there, but. No, doesn't exist. Let me tell you right now. I mean, I'm not that much older than you. Well, I, I, who am I kidding? I'm, I'm way older than you, but, but uh, <laughs> I, I'm still pretending. I'm still pretending. I, I'm my, my, my mo is getting patchy because I keep plucking out the gray. Um, <laughs> but no, it, the balance doesn't exist. It, it's, it's a myth. It's a myth. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's uh, the vegetable thing got me. That, that's, that's something it's like, you know, um, 
we're, we've got some uh, the neighbors uh, so we're the only ones in the bay here uh that are the permanent residents but we've got holiday homes that are kind of either side and fortunately uh -huh. they're out of eye shot but each of these neighbors <laughs> here in this bay they don't know it i don't think they listen to the podcast so i'm pretty safe in saying this they've got enormous <laughs> enormous fig trees and it's now fig season so i'm fighting the possums to get get to the figs and um basically uh you know picking these figs off the tree looking at it going i gotta paint these you tear them open and they got that beautiful white flesh in there and then the pink around the seeds and i'm looking at this going that's cool i gotta paint that that's awesome you know it's it's amazing where you find it that's amazing where you yeah. find it you said this about when you said about um you're painting something and no one knows you're gonna paint it and and you're mm. so excited about painting it no one knows about it yet I think that's one of the most exciting things about painting is that you can make people care about something that they didn't care about at all. Never thought about once before they saw it. Exactly. Exactly. And I learned, yeah. I, I feel like I've been learning this over time because, and I should write this huge in my studio wall because I painted a very large portrait of a woman um, in 2019 uh, called um, Ingrid, just Ingrid. And Beautiful. it was Lovely huge. Painting. And it was 36 by 48, a large painting, very specific, not a commission. Um, and it's one woman, very simple background. And I just had this painting in my mind. It was the biggest painting I'd done to date at that point. And I, the whole time I was painting it was just fighting off these feelings, but I really wasn't fighting them. Cause I kept thinking like, am I gonna die with this painting in my studio? No one is gonna buy this. And I just thought it doesn't matter. I need to paint this. And I really just fought it off. And that was one of the pieces that won best of show and it sold. And the woman that bought it called me on the phone and, and literally said, when I saw this painting in the gallery, I knew you had painted it for me. And I want to say, thank you for painting her for me. So oh. I get to live with her now. And I was so struck and I am just, I'm just so stupid because I just keep forgetting this and trying to and I fight within myself, trying to paint the sensational thing. And how can I be sensational when it's just, I, at least for me, that that is not what I'm supposed to do. Um, so, you know, like I learned that, like I can paint something that matters to me and no one else even cares. No one even knows Ingrid. Um, I mean, people, a lot of people know Ingrid. She's very lovely and um, a friend to many, but. This is, I mean, Ingrid is a stunning painting. I'm looking at it right now. And so the the freshness and the looseness of that, the, the background, but the way, again, the way you've painted that face, the pose, the the motion in it, uh, it's, it's stunning. It's a stunning painting. And I, again, I, I'm really sorry to do this, but I can't help it, uh, Stephanie. I can't help. I don't want to. I don't want to sound like I'm patronizing here, but this is not the work of a. How old were you when you did this? 22. So you said 2019. Yes. 22 so. years old. That is not the work of a 22 year old. It's just not. So I just look at you like like I just. Like, what are you? <laughs> where where did you, where did you come from? My goodness, you've you've really got a gift here, and um, and you're taking it seriously, and that's awesome. Like that's that's awesome. The drive is there, the the passion is there, and and you're not you're not wasting a moment of this.
Let me let's let's geek out about art. But one thing before before we do, I I want to go back and I want to ask you about um about your uh Phyllis here, which is uh study of life uh, study from life of Zorn. There's a drawing here, but the the falcon falconry is something that comes up in a lot in some of these paintings and, and the, the falcon wearing the hood on the perch, beautiful mm-hmm. painting, modern huntress oil on panel 24 by 12, stunning little painting here. Tell me about the falcon and what's your fascination with the bird and, and how is that um, important to you personally? Um, yeah. I became a falconer when I was 16. So I was a falconer before I was a painter, seriously. And um, the process of becoming a falconer in the United States involves having a mentor that will teach you as an apprentice for two years how to do falconry. You have to become licensed in a couple of different ways and build and make a lot of equipment and then eventually trap and train a wild bird of prey to to hunt game with and then eventually release back into the wild. So um, I started doing this when I was 16 and um, I have had over the course of those intervening years had, I believe it's eight birds, eight different, but it might be seven. I can't remember a hundred percent, but um, so at least seven birds I've had the opportunity to train from the wild and then um, hunt with and release. So you go from having a bird that you just get to be so close to nature. And I, I love um, how, you know, when you're driving on the freeway, you see birds on signs, but you never get to see all of these little aspects to them and just be so close to, um, to nature. So anyway, each bird has their own personality. And in the course of having all of those different birds, um, you'll see, I think Zorn was one that I painted a lot. So modern huntress is a bird named Zorn. I had a bird named Sergeant. You'll catch the drift here with these (laughs) names. Um, Sergeant was my number one, uh, probably best bird I ever had. Um, ironic. And I don't know if I painted him per se, I did do a drawing, but anyway, so I just, um, when I was learning about how to meld my, you know, my loves and then my ability to paint, I used to just paint things, you know, academically sort of, um, you know, models from, from, um, life drawing, those kind of things, I realized, oh, falconry is really important to me and I should be drawing and painting it more. Um, it's a very time consuming sport. So um, it was sometimes, you know, hard to meld the two just because I was spending so much time on each and bringing them together was difficult. But um, anyway, so the the inspiration behind that is just pure fascination with the birds and being just totally enamored with their um, personalities, their anatomy, and just, I think they're just beautiful. So the painting of Phyllis, um, you'll see there's a couple of birds and interiors, maybe just one. Um, when I was in Maine, I was able to train and live with a bird, um, for a little while. And so she lived in my living room and I painted her (laughs) as she lived in my living room. Beautiful. 
Beautiful. It's, it's, it's absolutely stunning. I've got a real soft spot for birds of prey. Uh, personally, always been fascinated with them since I was a little boy. And I, when I was about, well, it must've been nine or 10, I made my own little field identification charts and I was able to tell at a, you know, kilometers away, just based on the flight patterns, like, oh, that's a black shoulder kite. No, that's a kestrel. Oh, that's a, you know, the high, the high shape of the V of, of one in the back. I was like, oh, that's a wedge tail out that way. You know, and I, it, this was all Australian birds of prey. But when I saw these, I'm like, Ooh, I really want to do more birds. In fact, in, in my studio, I don't <laughs> think you can see, I don't think you can see from where well, you won't be able to see from this view. I've got a Kestrel taxidermy Kestrel. I don't know how you feel about taxidermy. Sorry, but a vintage taxidermy vintage. Okay. I'm, uh, I'm fine. A Kestrel above my, um, my desk right here. And then uh, a barn owl and a Kingfisher over there. Um, oh yeah so eventually I'll, I'll eventually i'll be painting them but uh it's um yeah they're gonna hold nice and still for me <laughs> but yeah yeah it's oh it's so cool though when i saw these i'm like oh very very interesting let let me ask you about the process now about the process of painting because there's a few technical things i would love to just pick your brain about you know down to the um you know, the materials that you're using. So I'm looking here, we've got a view looking into your studio. I, I can see that some of these and a, and a lot of your work on your portfolio uh, says panel over again, panel, 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 oil on panel. Is that your go-to surface for painting on? And what kind of panel are you using? It is my go-to surface right now. Mm -hmm. um, whether it's a panel, a linen on a panel or the type of panel that I'm using now, which is um, this ACM board. Um, this is a tiny painting of a- Ah, beautiful. But, hold that up, hold that up to the camera so we can see it, come on. That is all beautiful, lovely. You kind of can't see it super well, but anyway, um, the surface you can see it's very hard and mm -hmm. um, it's just this, plastic um, material that I buy from an industrial source called Piedmont Plastics. Ironically, let's just shout out Michael Klein again. He has a whole video on YouTube about making um, lead primed ACM board and I do his exact process. So okay. um, I also ironically have a video on my Instagram that I made showing you how I make it. So you can go to either Michael or you can go to my Instagram and find out how I do it. But awesome. um, it's it's a wonderful sort uh, surface. I, what I love about it is it can be um, wiped back to white and I can get transparency and transparency in layers wow. to a point. So that's, that's what I paint on right now. So no color ground before you start painting, you're just working directly onto the surface of the white panel. I, well, yes. So the, but I do have to put, I put a ground down, but it's a white ground. Okay. So yeah, yeah, yeah. there's a, yeah. there's a sticker on here. Yep. I just don't take the sticker off. And then it's just this plastic, very smooth. Mm -hmm. And I sand this and then with an icing tool put on this lead alkyd ground. And once that dries, I paint right on top of that. Lead alkyd. So are you using a Galkid Gamblin product or are you using liquid original or? 
It's well, actually unnatural pigments, um, Rubelov. Right. Um, familiar with them? Yep. It's yep. a natural pigments product. I don't have it up here. It's downstairs, but um, yeah. it's it's a lead ground. And then I'm not super knowledgeable in the alkyd region, but from what I know, alkyd is something that makes things dry faster. Is that true mm -hmm. to also your knowledge? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure it is. Um, I'm sure it does more, but it dries within 24 hours. So, um, yeah. and you can paint on it within 24 hours. And I've gone through lots of different processes of gluing different panels, different types of linen to panels, and there's bubbles and um, it's really time consuming. And um, I've also done it where you, you know, you prime it, you do rabbit skin glue on the wood and then you put all these layers and they have to dry for a month in between each layer. And then you have to wait for six months before you paint on it. And I just, I am not- gonna Nobody got time for that. Nobody got time for that. <laughs> and the result wasn't even something that was like, oh, I can't get a better result than this. So I've tried a couple different things and the, the panels I can buy, I used to use Centurion linen panels. I just not a huge fan of the results right now. So maybe I'll change and I'll want a more scratchy surface, but right now I really like this smooth surface. So this is the same painting surface I used for um, a lot of my recent paintings, but main man. I also used this brilliant aluminum panel. Brilliant. So then as you're kind of building up your painting, because the, the, the freshness kind of really does feel like it's painted a la prima, but you mentioned layering. So typically how many layers would you be using? And, and let's use main man as a, as a painting here. How many layers would you have in that, that painting there? Um, hmm. Different parts have different amounts. I think mm -hmm. the background has uh, two layers. His face has probably six because there's five other faces underneath. And so roughly two to three, because I'll usually with that painting specifically, I started extremely colorfully with thin washes of bright color. And then um, brought it down to where I wanted it to be thinking I could always make it um, less bright, but it would be difficult to make it brighter at the end. Um, right. So, um, and I also used some really fun um, paint sticks also at the start of that. So they're like, like big crayons with oil paint. Um, I don't use those too much mostly just cause I don't have very many, but um, so, so the background, I had a really light, colorful wash and then his clothes had a light wash, but then I went right in straight away just, um, on his face, but had to do several layers to get it, to get it right. So, um, and are these, are the, are the layers drawing between passes? Yes. So, so you're mixing alkyd into, into your layers as you're, as you're working, you're, you're using some of that alkyd or. Wow. Um, what's accelerating the drawing time you know what accelerates a lot is this i use a lot of nia mcgill um i've ah, used yeah, yeah. um i really love there's another product i love um marige but it gives me terrible headaches mm. and um gamsol has started giving me terrible headaches so um i've kind of gone away from using those things and i've 
started using mm -hmm. walnut oil and um, Neo McGilp to be my thinning agent. And I think that makes the paint dry a lot faster. So I mm. used to try to keep everything really wet and work wet into wet. And then um, I've recently been a lot more interested in texture. And so allowing things to dry in between, it might, I've heard people say it's terrible for archival purposes that it'll crack, but um, I also brought that up to CW Monday at some point, And he said, you know what, all those painters that are dead now, if they could see their paintings and how cool they look all cracked, if I can make my paintings crack right now, I would. It looks so cool. <laughs> He's like, I want that to happen to mine. And I just thought, wow, that's a different perspective I didn't think of. So I just um, I, I just want to I want to just issue an apology right now to Virgil Elliott if he's listening. He's tearing his hair out. What are you talking about? He's the archival <laughs> dude. He's yeah. But I I I I totally get that. I totally get that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that one specifically was drawing in between um, the different layers. Ah, uh, it's it's beautiful. Texture is something as well that you seem to use strategically, and and it's it's beautiful. Like your lighter areas are are, and again, I I wish I could see the original. I'm just looking at it on the screen, but your lighter areas seem to have that tooth and that there's a physicality to the paint. You know, the, the one that I just, I love, and again, talk about those moments. Well, that one's beautiful. Like I'll, I'll talk about that, uh, which is, uh, what's the name of this one? The Gate at Bunker Hill. Beautiful oh, yeah. painting. In texture, it plays such a, a key role in that piece. But then this one here of Eldridge House, uh, oil nine by 12 your lighter areas where that sun is just pinging off the side of that weatherboard and the shadows and the reflected light and that beautiful use of, of cool, uh, I'm guessing cerulean or it's cobalt teal. What'd you remember. use there? That's cool. I don't remember what color I used there. Um, it was probably usually uh, the blues I have on my palette are ultramarine king's blue and then i've been playing with this um very brilliant um sort of like teal color so that cobalt teal please tell me cobalt teal cobalt teal so cool i'll look really fast <laughs> and i'll i'll tell you exactly what it is this noise is gonna be difficult I, to edit out. that's all right that's all right oh here it is no it's this uh, old Ho holland color that's a tear. I'm not going to be able to pronounce it right, but it's like Scheveningen blue. Scheveningen blue. Yeah. My buddy Freeman will know what that is. What is the typical number on the back of that tube? Where do I find that? It'll say right there on the label. Oh, Stephanie, come on. Where do you find the chemical name? That's, that's your go-to. That's what you need is you need the chemical compound that's in that color. It'll be like a, a chemical code, like a PB or a You PG. just taught me something new. PW4. PW6, okay, so, PB15. Uh, that's got zinc white in it. That's got zinc white. Don't use zinc white. Uh, PW6, I believe, is zinc or PW4, one of those. But if it's got them both in there, guaranteed it's got it. Permanent white four, I think, is titanium. Che fact check me on this one, folks. Don't don't quote me on that. But the, the issue with zinc is, don't freak out, please. But the issue with zinc is delamination from an archival standpoint. Uh -huh. um, if you mix it and incorporate it in with enough colors, you might be okay. But, you know, speaking of Virgil Elliott, he, when talking to him and reading his book, 
it's uh, it's disastrous. It's absolutely disastrous. There have been people that have been priming their canvas with zinc white primer, for instance, and their paintings are peeling off like stickers. The delamination wow. is off the charts. So it's talking about cracking. That's that just causes huge. It, and a lot of cracking is issues with delamination. But zinc white, ain't nobody should be using that. It's either lead or titanium. Titanium's got its problems, but lead white's where it's at. So have right. a look. Um, in fact, I tell you what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna um, uh, oil paint PW six. That's permanent white six. Okay, what is it? I mean, it literally says on here zinc oxide right there. So that's zinc oxide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, straight away in the bin. Straight away, throw away. Straight away. Don't even, don't even think about it. Just boom, out of there. Uh, cobalt teal. Well, thank you I... for teaching me this. <laughs> I highly recommend uh, Virgil Elliott's book, Traditional Oil Painting. The guy's, the guy's a, a masterful technician of the craft of painting. Like he, well, he knows the chemistry behind it. So shout out to Virgil. I'm going to have him on the podcast again very, very soon. Um, awesome guy but he, he knows his stuff when it comes to, you know, putting together an image that's going to last and, and stand the test of time, in my opinion. You know, I, th I, think, he, awesome. I, think, I think he's got it. Um, I'll check it out. This is, uh, this is exciting. So, so does your, I, I, okay, more, more geeking out about painting and, and uh, just let me ask you a couple more things here. Um, this is so much fun. <laughs> does, your, does your palette change? as you're producing, uh, you know, different works, do you kind of mix it up and shift it up depending on your subject? Or do you have pretty much, now this is what Stephanie Page Thompson uses and it's just adapted and molded to fit the subject. Right now I have two pretty primary palettes depending on what I'm going after. Um, and I would like to be more, uh, exploratory to see what other tools I can use to add in. Um, but I have a pretty set palette for every day, um, which is sort of large and it's almost a split primary um, palette. So I have uh, several yellows. I have like a lemon cadmium and a cadmium. And then I have a color that I am trying to take away from my palette because it's my favorite color and I just want it to be part of every mixture and it shouldn't be you know I just it's like it's like a comfort uh color kind of like I just want to put everything into everything and that's um raw sienna I love this color it's just warm and wow. it's anyway so I'm trying to actually it's not on my palette right now because I'm trying to break up with it a little bit just for healthy reasons and then um do you want to hear the whole palette or do you? Oh, want yeah. Yeah, no, no. Okay. This is interesting. It's, it's interesting what you say about the raw sienna because or, I've got colors like that as well. And they're, they're, they are those, those comforting things that just, there it is again. Uh, and yeah, sometimes I would like to shift it up a bit, but it's like, no, I need you in my life. You have to be here. <laughs> yeah, you have to be on the palette. And it does have a great use because I love to... I really am interested in transparency and opacity right now. And so I, it is so helpful because it's a, it is a deep yellow that is transparent. So mm. it's, um, it's just really helpful to add to warm, darker colors up without adding, without increasing the value 
as much as you would if you were using anyway. So mm-hmm. it, has, it plays a purpose. And then I have cadmium red and lizard and crimson and transparent oxide red, which is another color that I'm trying to break up with. I but love oh, I love, I, I love it. I love it. I have yeah. yet to meet a painter that doesn't love it. And That's I just stunning. What brand yeah. do you use? So I'm a Blue Ridge guy. Shout out to Eric Silver oh. from Blue Ridge Oils. Uh, so they're they're handmade in uh, oh, uh, North Carolina um, yep. is where he is, and amazing handmade oils. He's got a small operation, um, but it's pretty much all I use. I have got a few other oils kind of floating around. Occasionally, I'll get out the tube of Williamsburg. Um, yeah. We've got an art, we've got a brand down here, down under that I've still got several tubes left that is just kind of like the, the rough and ready oil paint. But that's mainly for the those colors, like uh, the titanium white, ultramarine blue, burnt umber, which is the basis of a lot of my painting. Because um, yeah. I'm, I'm very tonal. In, yep. in that way um but but the transparent red oxide yeah blue ridge makes a beautiful one it's very different to the other brands that i've used but I, I i i love it it's tonally a little bit lighter but one of my favorite things for portraits that i found is that turquoise thalo which is quite weird because it's because such a punchy green for portrait but then yeah. you balance it out with its complementary opposite which is your transparent red oxide and then you've got transparent yellow oxide as well, which is kind of similar to the raw sienna, but it's got a little bit more of a pungent stain quality to it, but it is really transparent. But that's the thing you were talking about the subtle value shift or sorry, temperature shift without, without blowing out your values. Um, Those two colors, like the transparent red and the transparent yellow, they're fantastic for just, just getting a key, just a few notches left or right. Just, yeah, yeah, it's cool. It's cool. They're so great. They're yeah. yeah those colors. That's that's it's really interesting. So wow, man. I, I could I could talk to you about painting and just geek out about this all friggin' day. That's awesome. So when before that there there was one thing though that, that you were saying earlier when you were talking about this this painting in particular with, with main man and how long it was before the show. And then, and then, you know, how long you, you spent on the painting. And it's like, it's like screeching into that, that kind of that finish line almost. And so, so was it dry? Cause there's a lot of these places that have got these rules about <laughs> you're shaking your head. It's like no wet paintings, please. I hear that. Like what I see all the submissions for competitions, uh, uh-huh. you know, it's like no wet paintings. I'm like, okay. Okay. <laughs> I guess I'm out because I'm always working right up to that finish line. So so what was it that 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 helped her? So that was a, the the Neo McGill and the walnut oil. It, walnut's not something I've had much experience with. It, that dries pretty quick. Um, I think walnut oil actually is a uh, extends the time. Right. So maybe I'm using linseed oil. I'm not sure. I poured it into this um container a while ago and I kind of forgot what it is. But I'm pretty sure it's walnut oil um, because I have walnut oil up there. But um, the thing with the main man was um, it was finished, but some parts were dry and then some parts were wet. So the finish was also shiny and matte in some areas. Mm. So I was having a lot of problems. So what I ended up doing was oiling out the dry parts to match 
the wet parts, which were still shiny. So I could, cause it was a, I took a photo of it and entered it with the photo. It wasn't the physical thing, but. Mm -hmm. um, oh, okay, right, right. I've, I've never yet shipped a painting that is still wet, but I'm pretty sure it will happen at some point. Well, if, if you've got the, uh, the aluminum panel, um then then yeah it'd be it'd be a trick to to ship that but but i guess it holds itself so flat that you could get that gap of air between that and the the painting you know the the beauty of so i i i do a lot of big work but i i'm doing it on stretched linen so i'm just rolling these paintings up and shipping it in a tube it's really yeah. difficult to get something that's two and a half meters long to a client it's like i ain't shipping that right you come you come and get it <laughs> So then how do they stretch it on the other end? Well, they stretch it on the other end. You know, it just gets shipped to a framer or an art conservator. Normally my clients like have a guy that, uh, that, that will, will do it as or somebody that that's a technician on the other end, uh, mm -hmm. particularly in, um, in Western Australia, a lot of my work goes back to, to Perth in Western Australia, where I basically started and shout out to guest fine art services. Um, they, they stretch a lot of my work and, and will frame it up. Um, when I say a lot, on, on the odd occasion, I get a, a get a commission that's that's big enough that requires stretching, um, mm -hmm. and they've done that several times. So yeah, don't, normally you can find somebody. That's really yeah. good to know. Mm -hmm. I I I feel like I'm in a constant flux of looking for new materials and things, and so that's interesting to hear about. Um, what brand of linen do you use? Does so I, I, um, I use a Belgian linen or sometimes an Italian linen. I, I do really like the, the Claussens or Claysons. Um, yeah. I, I used PL 170 for years. The, the only issue with PL 170 and that portrait behind me right there of Russell was painted on it at some camera angles when people are watching the video they'll see that there is a dominant weave depending on where you stretch it how you stretch it, it's either vertical or horizontal and some people find that distracting i kind of liked it but then eventually it got on my nerves so i found the bell arty had a flat weave but they're all triple primed and i prefer the acrylic primed um because yeah. i find that that's more flexible and durable and then i'm going over the top with oils but the beauty is, you know, you want that flexibility because I'm using alkyd resins, liquid mainly. It's permanently flexible. It plasticizes your oil paint, you know, uh -huh. effectively. So it, it, you don't want to abuse it or overuse it, but it just gives it a little bit of flexibility, makes it nice and durable. So when you roll it around a core, um, mm -hmm. and, I, and my core is about like 10 centimeters or 100 millimeters, right? Uh, uh -huh. So it's a cardboard tube. The paint gets rolled around that, but there's a wax release paper on the physical surface of the painting. So okay. even if it is sitting in the tube for a long time, it, it won't stick to itself. And, and okay. it can just, it can sit there and it's happy. But then that goes inside a massive PVC plumbing tube. And there's, you could do just about anything to this painting in transit and it's gonna make <laughs> it there in one piece, it's fine. There, there. I glue, I glue one end. I put a big screw cap on the other end. It's, ex it, it can be expensive. So it's just for the materials and shipping a painting, can, can be up to two hundred dollars. Here at Down Under, a lot of that stuff is expensive. It'd be a lot yeah. cheaper stateside um, yep. for a lot of this stuff. But, but it makes it doable. Uh, all the small stuff, anything below twenty-four by twenty, that's all on a panel. Anything above is stretched. You know, so. <laughs> that's yeah. fascinating. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a lot of, uh, I mean, there's a lot of cool materials out there. But I I I find the more artists I talk to, I'm like, what are you doing? How are you doing that? <laughs> you know? Can I do that? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who, who do you, who does that? Hook me up. Come on, you know. <laughs> um, so I, I've I've heard you know now from Joe Paquette and uh, and Mark Maggiore as well. Like they they they're both using the new traditions pa- panels. The, the the but it's a foam core. It sounds like which is like oh that's that's fascinating. So keen to try yeah. that. Yeah. It's interesting because. I feel like in the time that I've been painting, which is not long in the any grand scheme of things, um, I heard people say things like, okay, you have to have the best materials or else you can't make good work. You have to have all expensive everything, you know? And then I was like, okay, well, I can't afford that. <laughs> so how do you know? So I was doing my best to, you know, get good brushes and things like that. And then I talked to other artists and they said, oh yeah, and they're, you know big, big names and they're using student grade paint and they're using brushes from Michael's and they're using Frederick's panels and making incredible paintings. And so it's really fascinating to me to learn what other artists use because there are people out there making incredible paintings with Michael's brushes and student grade paint. And um, that was something that someone told me in a workshop. They said, you know, you can create amazing work with meager tools. It's by having the better tools and the best palette and the best studio lights and the best um, easel, that's not going to make you a better painter. Mm -hmm. So work on being a better painter. So anyway, good quality paint and things. I, I, I'm not, I don't use student grade paint, but anyway, it's just, it's really fascinating what can be made out there with um, just also different people's philosophies. You know, one Mm. person's like, oh, I only use this brand. And then the other person is like, yeah, whatever. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I think when we and this is also you know the the main thing behind the podcast is when I reach out to artists like yourself. I mean, every artist has got a different creative journey, but a different way of doing things. And Mm -hmm. it's my hope that in hearing these, um, you know, even we don't do a whole lot of shop talk here on the creative endeavor. Um, but, but I, I want to do a lot more of that because I think that's something that people find interesting. It's certainly something that interests me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For every artist, there's a new way of doing it, a, a new way of doing things. And it kind of, it makes this idea of competition go out the window and this notion of who's the best, who's the best one out there. It's like, no, nah, man, there's room for everybody. Everybody's different and everybody's valid. Right. everybody's you know and, and we all have a valid way of doing it however that said there are some things you know that you're, you're not going to get away from some cause and effect there are right. some things that artists use that i think are problematic and health also i mean you were mentioning getting headaches right from yeah. things i tell you one thing that just knocks me out and that's mineral turpentine or mineral yeah. spirits uh pure gum not a problem but the petroleum-based products, good night. I get a migraine, something chronic, and I'll be there like just, it'll, it'll be with me the whole day and there's nothing I can do to get rid of it. As soon as I whiff it, it's like, I'm out. So I can't have the solvent in the studio. But, you know, that said, liquid has got a volatile component. It's called butanone oxime. Yeah. I have no idea what that does to the body. I can't, don't think it's great but I don't react to it at all. Um, I get weird twitches and night terrors and my skin feels like (laughs) it's peeling, but I I can't be related. The voices keep telling me I should stop using it, but- No, the the voices are telling me more, mix more in, (laughs) more. 
Eat a little I bit. Want, Eat a little bit. <laughs> I want to use liquid, but I yeah. people here do not. People here are frown upon it so so intensely. Why? I don't even know where I can find it. Why? Because it's Why? bad for you. What do you mean it's bad for you? Look, that's what I've heard. Everything's bad for you. Look, so we we could go all the way with this. Like have a little bit of ventilation. Don't mix a whole bunch out. Don't have copious amounts of it out. Don't get it on your skin. Fair enough. If you're going right. to mix it into your coffee, just a quarter teaspoon at a time. You know? <laughs> don't, don't go overboard with this. But the thing no. is, is that we you can't you can uh, uh, go overboard. And there's a lot of there's a lot of artists out there, right? Okay, I'll just put this out here. There's a lot of a lot of artists out there talking about toxicity of materials. Oh, I don't want to use lead. I don't want to use cobalt or cadmium or, or have solvents and stuff. And these are the same people that are going to McDonald's. Right. It's like, like you know, the, you, you got to It's it's give and take, you know. So, and 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 you got to kind of balance this out with everything else. Like I use a lot of toxic stuff to do what I do, but it's not in the air. And a lot of a lot of the danger comes down to how you're using it. I see some artists when they're painting. I never understood this. I hope you're not one of these painters. I'll hang up on you immediately. But they get <laughs> they get paint everywhere. They get paint all over their hands, all over their clothes. They're, they'll be chewing on the end of their brush. They'll be blending with their finger. What is this thing with blending with your finger? You're using cadmium. Don't touch it. It's like, oh, I'm just going to get a little blend effect there with my finger. <laughs> gosh that's you that's, isn't it you're doing that aren't you that is you no <laughs> good okay i have done that but i don't make a practice of it oh. but i yeah no i actually i have done that just because there was one time and i just was like oh if i can just get this and it was like anyway but i've started using gloves a lot in the studio because um it's interesting i i clean my house with toxic things and so i it does a good job cleaning our house. So I've limited my use of solvents extremely. Um, and it has helped with my headaches. I just am too young and I have a lot more painting ahead of me to be having a headache all the time. So, um, anyway, I, I do when I remember wear blue gloves when I paint, but I'm not, I'm not eating my paint. I'm not getting it all over my body. I do occasionally drop a brush and then it gets on places, but um, at this point, I'm not super concerned about going cadmium free. Um, mm -hmm. but anyway, yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it, but I mean, a lot of the best colors and, and the best paint of all time, I think like, like the, the best thing that anybody who's concerned with archival stuff, lead, lead white, that's the best stuff right there and transparency as well. Oh, come on. Um, and it's not great for you. It's, it's right. really not like lead's terrible. <laughs> um, I, I don't, I don't know what it does. Like I, I know it interrupts or, or, you know, does something to the nervous system. I mean, a lot of the people in ancient times that were drinking out of lead goblets, they went insane. They went absolutely right. insane because a lot of these heavy metals lodge themselves in our fatty tissues and they don't come back out again. And that's part of, I guess, the body's way of dealing with toxicity is that it, it traps it in fat and just keeps it there. And, and it doesn't break down or leave. It just kind of goes, no, 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 this is dangerous. I'm going to keep it here in the fatty tissues. But I, your brain's mostly fat, isn't it? I think a lot of it ends up in your brain. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I have no idea what I'm talking about, but <laughs> it's not, it's not great. It's not great. But I, you know, just having a good studio practice, but the solvent is, is really tricky. I try to use as natural as I can, 
Pure gum turpentine, again, it, it's not something I have much of an issue with. Essentially, it's, it's an organic material. It, the petroleum distillates is what does it to me. Um, uh, you know, oil byproducts, petroleum byproducts, or mineral turpentine, um, acetone can do it, lacquer thinners, um, kerosene, you know, various things like that. But pure gum turpentine or gum turpentine, it's, it, it, after a while, it can make your brushes hard and sticky, but you can loosen them back up again with fresh turpentine. But I don't mix it into my paint. I was just using it for the, for the brushes, by the way, uh, before I forget, I have to ask you about your brushes. Um, the brushes you're using to put together a painting, like again, let's, let's talk about, um, you know, a gate at Bunker Hill, the way you're photographing, like, I tell you what I appreciate about your work. I can see the texture of the brush, but I can also see bits of pigment and maybe a little bit of dust or maybe a bristle. I, I'm definitely seeing a paint bristle right there in that, in that, <laughs> that but, and I, I'm not fussing at you by saying that. I appreciate it that it's there. It also makes me feel better because I have a lot of stuff in my paintings that's mm -hmm. just there. I'm like, actually, it's kind of cool. I'm going to leave the dust in there. It's catching the light. It's kind of cool. Um, what are the brushes that you're using to put together these images? Do you prefer bristle over synthetic? Do you use natural hair? Like what, what, are, you, what are you using here? Um, currently, and for that painting, I used um, a mixture of synthetic and bristle. So I have, um, my favorite ones right now are these long bristles. They're like long filberts. I'm not a huge fan of the squared edges right now. Mm. What are those called? Just what are the flats, silvers, and flats, flats and brights, flats and brights. Yeah, yeah, I've got that that boxy shape to the end of them. Yeah, I mm. just they don't feel good, and I don't like them right now. I'll mm. probably change, but I just don't like them very much. So, um, and then I have these bristles. They're they're imitation like mongoose, I believe, um, yeah. that I really love to use. There's a there's also a, a brush I love from Rosemary called um, the Comers I believe a clip. Love them, uh, love them. That, that's a real long filbert, isn't it? The Comer, yes. yeah, yeah, real long filbert. Yeah, shout out Rosemary Co. They're amazing. Yeah, I love them. Mm. I love them. So that I use a mixture of those, and I actually um, I also have a, a brush set from Rosemary, which is um, CW Mondays, which is the Mundy Mop, which is a like extremely soft bristle. That's a Mundy Mop. That's where the name came from. That's one of my favorite brushes. I love that yeah, brush. I use it all the time for like, if I have to oil in or oil out, I'll use a Mundy Mop. I'm like, cool. That's so cool. Those are his. So I is love he, those. Is he painting with those? Like he's actually. Yes. yes. Wow. Actively with Neil McGill, because you know, they're so thick. He uses Neo McGilp to be able to make the um, paint move. And so you don't have to use quite as much paint because they would just use up like your whole palette just to fill the brush, you know, because it's so dense. So he uses Neo McGilp as well. Um, so wow. I, yes, I use a mixture of all those different brushes. I kind of forget, I don't know if you have this, I kind of forget what I have other brushes while I'm painting and that I can use a tool better suited for the task at hand by just switching brushes. I, so that's something I'm um, working towards about, I just will start with a brush and then go all the way through with one brush and then realize, oh, I could have traded it up, but. It's, yeah, it's, it's weird. Like when I'm, when I'm painting a landscape or a portrait or a still life, the d brushes are, they're, they're shifting up 
all the time. Like my favorite yeah. for, for portraits are filberts, evergreens and eclipses. And they're just beautiful made by, by Rosemary Go. And then um, for a still life, I'll use some long filberts, uh, evergreens, eclipses, and then a lot of synthetics, a lot of ivories are coming out. And then yeah. finally um, for, for landscape work, I'm using the dagger the bristle dagger all the time really well because i i, I kind of have to because it's named after me it's called the tish <laughs> made by Rose oh. yeah 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 so, oh, i wasn't uh, aware of that that's awesome i'm gonna send you a hat when it's finally made and and i'm getting some stupid merch made and it's it's a patch on the front of a baseball cap and it says do you even tish bro i'll send you <laughs> Please, I would love that. <laughs> You'll never I will wear, wear it out. all the time. No, no you I won't. I don't. <laughs> no, I do. I wear a hat all the time. I have this like kind of wide brim for painting. I have this wide brimmed hat and I was doing this painting of a couple indoors and I wore this hat because there's all this other light and there was someone there and I, you know, at some point I just worn it all day, you know, like it's like a yeah. sun hat. Yeah. And I, at the end of the day, I was like, oh, and I just took it off. I was like, well, now I'm done painting. I don't need to, this to... Yeah shield my eyes from the light and this this guy that was there that was watching was like oh I wondered about that <laughs> he's like I wondered why you were wearing that yeah, anyway yeah. I'm definitely yeah. wearing that <laughs> no it's and it's 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 cool I I mean I, I I live in a baseball cap a lot of people are going does he have hair obviously he has hair but the top is like <laughs> Dr. Phil so um no but I I, I I've got a few um a few hats coming. I've got the keep it real with cobalt teal landscape champ. And do you even tish bro there? It's, it's so dumb, but it's my sense of humor coming through, I guess, which is, which is stupid. And there's only one person that gets it and that's me. And it's awesome. <laughs> um, but, awesome. Uh, but, I'll, but I'll hook you up with it, with a baseball cap. Stephanie, this has been such a treat, such a, what a pleasure talking to you. Uh, before we wrap up, I, I would love to know what's next for you. What's really exciting you artistically? What's what's some of the things on the horizon that you're looking forward to? What can we expect to see from you in the coming months and, and even the next couple of years? That's a very exciting question and huge. Um, on the near horizon, I have my first paintings in a museum show, which is very exciting. Um, that was sort of a loose goal to have paintings in a museum. So that's very exciting, close goal. But um, ultimately right now, I feel like I'm just so thankful because I feel like I'm on the edge of being able to just, I feel like this all the time, you know? So maybe this is not different, but I just feel like I'm just about to paint something that I've never painted before. And so I feel that especially right now as I've um, just, recently moved and things and things are just a lot more settled personally and I just feel like I'm in a really great spot and I'm so excited and inspired by this 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 barn series that I've just started um and I you mentioned the print that I am running for a limited time but um I just feel so called to be doing these pieces and the barn is coming down in a short period of time so um ultimately close close time range as uh, I'll just be keeping painting and in the next couple of years I hope to to be able to keep painting and to actually do the things that we talked about today and you know paint from a place of um, joy and not ego and 
um, just for the joy of painting and then share that with others. Um, I've taught a workshop in the past and I hope to be able to do more of that in the future. And um, so next couple of years, hopefully that, that would start happening on a wider basis and uh, just be able to keep painting. I just wanna keep painting as many things as I can before I die. There's way, way too much out there. To, I just, I just wanna keep painting. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. You're inspired and you're, you're moving in the, in the right direction. Then this is epic. It is, it's been awesome following your journey from afar on social media. I'll let everybody know where they can find you on social media, but uh, let me just say, thank you so much for being on this episode of the creative endeavor. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really wonderful to uh, speak with you and just share ideas and everything. I appreciate it. Well, thank you so much for spending this time with me here in the studio and a huge thank you to Stephanie Page Thompson for joining me on this episode of The Creative Endeavor. What an epic conversation this was. I really hope you enjoyed this as much as I did. Now, right now, please go and follow Stephanie Page Thompson on Instagram. She can be found all one word at Stephanie Page Thompson. That last name is spelled P. A-I-G-E, and Thompson is spelled T-H-O-M-S-O-N. So all in one word, at Stephanie Page Thompson, and at her website, www.stephaniepagethompson.com. And I'll make sure that I include those links with the description that went with this podcast. So find that wherever you're listening to the audio version. I'm sure you're going to be blown away by her work, just as I am It's just incredible stuff. Really look forward to seeing what the future holds for her. I wish her all the best and all the success in the world. Such vision. She's so inspired. Such heart too. Incredible stuff. And maybe one day very soon, we'll get her back on the creative endeavor for a round two of the podcast. That would be something. Now, if you haven't done so already, please take a moment and leave me a rating or a review on whatever audio platform you're listening on. Thank you so much for doing so. As I said, it makes a huge difference to the show and getting up there in the ranks. Thank you so much. And while you're at it, go ahead and share this with a friend, anyone that you think might be inspired by the creative endeavor. Also, loads of people coming through with the hashtag the creative endeavor on Instagram taking screenshots of the podcast and what episode they're listening to. Thanks so much for doing that. Thanks for sharing that. I make sure that I try to I try to share that on my story too. Whenever I see that come up on my feed, I go ahead and share that with the people following me. Really appreciate that. It just helps push this out to more and more people. Now, I did say in a previous episode that this podcast was niche. Well, not really anymore. It's getting out there more and more. And man, you know what? I couldn't do this without you. I think the creative endeavor is here to stay as long as there's a free internet. And as long as there's breath in my body, I'm going to keep reaching out to other artists, recording these conversations and sharing them with you. So thanks for being here. Thanks for being in this space. It's so awesome to be spending this time with you. Now, if you haven't already done so as well, 
and you want to find out more about me, if you're just listening for the first time or you don't have much of an idea about who you're listening to right now, you can find me on my website, www.andrewtischler.com. I'm also on YouTube. I'm all over social media. Just search my name. And also, while you're at it, make sure you subscribe through my website. That's free to do so. And I'm in touch with my subscribers there regularly. What an epic, epic podcast. I'm buzzing. Are you buzzing? I'm buzzing. It's that creativity. You feel it coursing through your veins. I'm going to go and just put that into a painting right now and just, ah, I'm on fire. I even listen to the rough cut of some of the upcoming episodes that I cannot wait to share with you. Mark Maggiore. Yep, you heard it. He's coming up very, very soon. Looking forward to sharing that episode with you. Okay. So long. It's been awesome. I'll see you again very soon in another episode of The Creative Endeavor. Thank you.